As you know, we're teaching on the subject growing up spiritually. You know, growing up is a process. And in these lessons, and actually I'm teaching from my book, Growing Up Spiritually, so it's good to say in this book, we'll talk about growing up spiritually. And our lessons are those that will help you grow. So we need to help you to sum up in your own case and to discern where you are spiritually. Then after you've located yourself, these lessons will help you to grow out of that stage into another stage spiritually. You know, we read uh, from the fourth chapter of Ephesians, the eighth verse, that wherefore he saith when he, that is when Christ, ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Then the eleventh through the fifteenth verses, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. Or, we pointed out another translation, Moffat's translation said, a mature man. Or, in other words, God wants us to grow up full grown uh, until the measure went on to say of the statue of the fullness of Christ that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slide of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love, now notice, may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Then we looked at another verse, that's First Peter chapter 2, verse 2, where it says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. We pointed out that there is a similarity between physical growth and spiritual growth. That in the natural, no one's born a full-grown human. They're born babies and then they grow up. And so it is in the spiritual. No one's born a full-grown Christian. They're born babies as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. So we talked about the babyhood stage of spiritual development. And then the text said here that we henceforth be no more children. We talked about the childhood stage of spiritual development. But he went on to say that we may grow up into him and he said, unto a perfect man. Or, as I pointed out to you, other translations, like, for instance, uh, Moffat's translation stated, until we reach maturity. And Amplified Translation says that we might arrive at really mature manhood. So let's talk about characteristics of the manhood stage of spirituality. Now, that's what we want to do, is to grow up and to grow out of the babyhood, into the childhood, out of the childhood stage of spiritual development, into the manhood. And so we'll discuss at least three characteristics of a manhood stage of development. Now, number one is esteeming earthly things lightly. Number two is deadness to censure or praise. Number three is the ability to recognize God at work. Let's take up the first one, esteeming earthly things lightly. In Hebrews 11th chapter, the 24th through the 26th verses, we have these words, By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproaches of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, 
for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Now notice what it said, Moses, when he was come to years. Now that means when he grew up, when he became a man, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now think about what he refused. You see, he saw a difference in the people of God and the people of the world. You see, Egypt is a type of the world. In the world, he was the son of Pharaoh's daughter in line for the throne. He had honor, wealth, and prestige. He had the things the earth and the world had to offer. Yet he esteemed, it says, the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. See, he was heir to the treasures of Egypt, but he esteemed the reproaches of Christ greater riches. One characteristic of growing up is to esteem earthly things lightly. You see, you cannot put earthly things above spiritual things and grow spiritually. Now, friends, God does want his children to prosper. He's concerned about that. He wants us to have the good things of life. You know, he said in his word, Isaiah 119, If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. But it doesn't want us to put those things first. You see, some are more interested in making the dollar than in serving God. Spiritual things must come first if you are to be spiritual. You must esteem spiritual things more than the dollar, more than earthly things. No, it's not wrong to have money. It's wrong for money to have you. It's wrong for money to be your ruler, your master. God does want you to prosper. Remember Third John 2, God said, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospers. Now, see, that's talking about financial and material prosperity, physical prosperity, and spiritual prosperity. Now, look at it again. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper. That's material prosperity. And be in health. That's physical prosperity. Even as thy soul prosper. That's spiritual prosperity. Now, the first psalm is so beautiful, and it makes it so clear that God wants us to prosper. Notice the first psalm, verse 1 through 3. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of waters, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither. Now notice, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. God wants us to prosper. Our need, however, is to evaluate things as they should be evaluated, to esteem earthly things lightly, to put first things first. Now, we all think that the preacher ought to be that way. You know, if a pastor takes a better church where he makes more money, people think he just took that so he'd get better paid. But they wouldn't think a thing in the world of taking a better job and perhaps moving off and leaving a good spiritual church and getting in one where they'd all backslide. I was talking to a fellow, uh, a good friend of mine, a number of years ago. I was over in his town on business and ran into him on the street. Now, this is back in Depression days when most people didn't have anything. But he had a good job making good money, but he'd been offered a job making $50. That's a lot of money then, more a month. Like I said, that doesn't sound like much today, but in those low depression days, that was a lot of money. I, I knew a lot of men with families who didn't make $50 a month. He already had a good salary, but he was offered this job in another town making $50 more than he's making. He said, did you know I'm moving to so-and-so? Well, he was a member of a good gospel church, actually a full gospel church. 
And I happened to know the town where he was going, but moving, didn't even have one in those days, not one single full gospel church. So I said, what kind of church do they have in that town? He said, what do you mean? I said, is there a full gospel church there where you're going to move and take this new job? He said, I don't know. I never thought about that. No, I said, you were just interested in the $50 more a month. But I said, wait a minute. I knew you and your family before you came into the baptism of the Holy Ghost and into the full gospel church. I happened to know you'd spent all your money. Doctors thought your wife had cancer of the stomach. But when she got the baptism of the Holy Ghost without anybody praying for her, she got healed and she can eat anything she wants. I happened to know that you'd spent thousands of dollars on one of your boys, physically, you see, for physical medical treatment. But since you've come in where divine healing is taught, that boy's been in good health. You haven't spent a dime. He said, yeah, that's right. I said, I happen to know that there isn't a full gospel church in that town. Now, you see, it would have been different if he was thinking about going there to start one, but he wasn't capable of doing that. He said, you know, I never thought of that. I said, no, you'd take your family out of a good church where the gospel's preached, where you've been blessed immeasurably, physically as well as spiritually, for $50 more a month. I said to him, I'll not tell you not to go there, but I tell you, you better pray about it. Well, the next time I saw him, he said, I'm not going. I don't believe it's worth it. I just don't believe it's worth it. And it wasn't, and he didn't. You see, as I said, this man esteemed earthly things lightly. He put spiritual things first. Let's go back for just a moment and look at that scripture there in the first psalm. I want you to notice something. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor saith to the seed of the scornful. Now notice, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. You see, he put spiritual things first. Well, he went on to say that he will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water to bring forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he shall do shall prosper. But you see, he put spiritual things first. This man I was telling you about put spiritual things first. Didn't move, you see, uh, though he could get $50 more a month, and yet God prospered him where he was because he put spiritual things first. I remember at one meeting we were holding in a large city, a man and his wife came to the meeting, that is to visit, the woman's mother, who had gone home to be with the Lord, was a member of a church that I'd pastored some years before. This mother was a wonderful Christian, a great blessing to my wife and me as young people with babies. Well, I knew that this lady, the daughter, hadn't always been a Christian because she used to come and visit her mother and even come to church with her, but they weren't Christians. But then she'd gotten saved, received the Holy Spirit, had been filled with the Holy Ghost, and attended a fine church, full gospel church. And she was going on with God because occasionally she'd still come back and visit. Now, a number of years had gone by. So I said to her, you know, are you still going to church where you went? Or where do you go? And she said, oh, I don't go anywhere. Well, I said, what do you mean? I thought you remember I mentioned that church. Oh, she said, they don't even have church there anymore. It closed down for a while. Then someone else took it over. Our pastor quit and left, and people just scattered, and we didn't have any pastor, and, and somebody's opened it back up now. But we don't go anywhere, just here and there. And so while you're here, well, we're coming here. Well, I said to her, where do you pay your tithes? Oh, said, we quit paying tithes. We used to pay tithes, but we don't pay tithes anymore. And uh, our church just folded up and quit. And I said, well, there's no use. You're backsliding just because others have. I said, uh, you need to get in somewhere and work for God. Worship the Lord. A rolling stone never gathers any moss, as we say. We need others. We need the fellowship of one another. And uh, someone said, and this lady said, oh, Brother Hagin, I can stay at home, be just as good a Christian as anybody. I said, no, you can't do it. 
The Bible said, Hebrews 10:25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much more as ye shall see the day approaching. You see, we see that day approaching, the coming of the Lord. We need one another. We need to grow up. We need to esteem earthly things lightly. We need to put God first. We don't go to church because we're in love with the pastor or his wife or the Sunday school teacher. We should go because we love God and we want to worship the Lord. You know, people sometimes lose their children because they don't put first things first. The children grow up physically and get away from God because the wrong example was set for them. I remember we were visiting my wife's folks one time, one Christmas. My daughter, our daughter, was only six years old. Christmas was on Saturday. The next day after Christmas, on Sunday, I was to preach about 57 miles away. Well, it was raining and disagreeable weather, cold. And when you'd go out, it just seemed like it'd just go right through you. Sunday morning, my mother-in-law said, Well, I'll keep Pat. You just leave her here. She has a little hacking cough, and she feels like she might have a little bit of fever. And Don't take her out in this kind of weather. My wife asked me what we should do, and I said, No, we're not going to leave her. We prayed about it. We believed God. And besides that, when we came over here yesterday for Christmas dinner, she had that same little hacking cough. Actually, she's much better today. Now, if we don't take her to Sunday school and church this morning, then we'll leave the impression on a little six-year-old that it's more important to eat Christmas dinner with Grandma than to go to church on Sunday morning, and uh, that's not what I believe. Now, do you see where people lose their children and why they grow up and become unfaithful in church? You can't just tell them. The Bible says, friends, listen now to me, Proverbs 22, 6, you can't just tell them, that is tell children what to do and just let them do whatever they want to. Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he'll not depart from it. You see, train them and set the right example before them. I remember F.F. F. Bosworth said, some people wonder why they can't have faith for healing, and that is why their faith's weak. I added faith for healing. They feed their body three hot meals a day and their spirit one cold snack a week. Friends, determine in your heart to put spiritual things first. That is, first things first. Esteem earthly things lightly, even if it's your own relatives. Put God before them. Put God before your own self-life. You'll be blessed spiritually and better off physically, both you and your family as well. Then another characteristic of the manhood stage of spiritual development and growth is deadness to censure or praise. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, the third and fourth verses, But with me it's a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not mine own self, for I know nothing by myself. Yet am I not hereby justified, but he that judgeth me is the Lord. Now, Paul had grown in grace to such an extent that he sought only to commend himself to God. He was not influenced or affected by what others thought of him. He did not get into bondage to anybody. It was not a carnal independence, but a saintly dignity. The law of love governed him. He was not easily puffed up, nor was he touchy or resentful. His spirit, where the love of God was shed abroad, dominated him. Immature Christians will feel slighted or puffed up if they're criticized, or even imagine that they are. They are restless, uneasy, and full of self-pity. But on the other hand, if they are noticed and appreciated, they feel lifted up and full of self-importance. Baby Christians are self-conscious and ever-conscious of what others are thinking about them. 
Therefore they are tossed to and fro, childlessly trying to be popular. The mature believer is God-conscious and ever-conscious of what God's Word says about him and to him. Because he is able to testify with Paul, it's a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. You see, he's free to walk in and voice his convictions. He fits the description given in the Amplified Translation of 1 Corinthians 13, 5. He is not conceited, arrogant, and inflated with pride. He's not touchy or fretful or resentful. He takes no account of the evil done to him, pays no attention to a suffered wrong. And then finally, the third characteristic of a manhood state of spiritual development is ability to recognize God at work. Now, one of the best spiritual examples of this characteristic is Joseph. You remember how that Joseph saw certain things happening in a dream, and his brother became jealous of him? They were going to kill him, but finally sold him into slavery. He was taken into Egypt, where eventually he stood and refused to bow to the wishes of his master's wife and was thrown in prison. He stayed, friends, in prison seven years. Most people would have become bitter and said, God has forsaken me after these seven years. You remember he interpreted a dream for a fellow prisoner, Pharaoh's butler? that in three days the butler would be lifted up and restored. Joseph asked the butler to make mention of him to Pharaoh when he was delivered. The butler was released, as Joseph said, but he forgot Joseph. It was two years more before Joseph got out. In those two years, most folks would have grown bitter and said, that's the way it is. You try to help folks and they won't help you. But the time came when Joseph was brought out of prison, and eventually he was made prime minister of Egypt. A famine back in his home country caused his father to send his brothers to Egypt in search of food. They had to be brought before him because he was prime minister. They didn't know him, but he recognized them, the very ones who had sold him into slavery. He didn't tell them who he was, but he asked, Is your father well, the old man of whom you spake? They answered that he was in good health. Benjamin hadn't come with them, so Joseph said to him, Hereby ye shall be proved by the life of Pharaoh. Ye shall not go forth hence except your youngest brother come hither. Well, they went back and told their father that this man did solemnly protest unto us, saying, Ye shall not see my face except your brother be with us. Now, poor old Jacob, he didn't know that it was God. Joseph was gone, and now he said they're taking Benjamin. He thought all these things were against him, but they weren't. They were all for him. He just didn't know it. You know, when you're hungry, you'll do almost anything. So Benjamin went with him. When they got there, Joseph made a feast for them, and he announced, I'm Joseph. Now, you know what happened? All those fellows hit the floor. Well, that's what Joseph had seen in his dream, his brothers bowing before him. Now, here would have been a fine opportunity for most people who weren't spiritually mature and still babies or baby children to have shown off. Here would have been a perfect opportunity for Joseph to have stuck his thumb in his galluses and said, Well, boys, look me over. Remember those dreams? They came to pass. But Joseph had magnanimity of soul. He said, in fact, don't worry about it. God did it. He said, Be not grieved nor angry with yourself that ye sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. Genesis 45, verse 5 and 7. You see, when you can see God at work in things, you can rejoice, friends, whatever is going on. I want to continue along the line of growing up because he said here in Ephesians, the fourth chapter and the 15th verse, but speaking the truth in love may grow up, may grow up, may grow up. God wants us to grow. So I'm going to talk about growing up spiritually by walking in love. Notice Romans, the fifth chapter and the fifth verse says, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. 
You see, to fellowship with God, to walk with God, to walk in God's realm, we must walk in love. That is divine love, for God is love. I remember when I was born again, and of course it's true with you and all of us, He became my Father. And uh, He's a love God. And I'm a love child of a love God. I'm born of God. God is love, so I'm born of love. The nature of God is in me. The nature of God is love. Now, we can't say that we don't have this divine love. Everyone in the family has it, or else they're not in the family. Now, they may not be exercising it. They may be like that fellow Jesus talks about, the one talent guy that wrapped his talent in a napkin and buried it. But the Bible says that the love of God, friends, has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. Now, that means when it said the love of God, the God kind of love has been shed abroad in our hearts. Our hearts are our spirit. You see, this is a love family. You remember what Jesus said in John the 13th chapter and 35th verse? By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. Now, how are they going to know if you have love one to another? That's the way they're going to know it. This God kind of love is not selfish. See, the Bible said God so loved the world that he gave. The love law of the family of God is that you love one another as I have loved you, John thirteen thirty four. Now, how did he love us? Because we deserved it? No. He loved us while we were yet unlovely. He loved us while we were yet sinners. The Bible says so. And think about this. If God so loved us with so great a love when we were sinners, when we were unlovely, when we were his enemies, do you think he loves his children any less? No, thank God a thousand times no. Now, you see, when we're talking about love, we're talking about divine love, not human love. You know, we hear a lot today about natural human love. But there's simply no love in this old world like the love of God. Natural human love is selfish. I've heard people say a mother's love is akin to the love of God. Now, I thought that one time myself, but it isn't so. As a usual thing, a mother's love is a natural human love. And as as usual thing, it's selfish. You see, that's my baby. Oh, I love my children. I love them. A woman, I remember, came crying to me saying, I want you to pray for them. I brought them up right, right here in this church, and I don't understand it. Not a one of them will come except my girl. One of her daughters played the piano. She was the only one who came. In fact, one of the boys just went away from home. She said, there isn't anyone in this church that loves their children more than I did. I said, sister, there has to be a reason. I'm a stranger here, but just as an evangelist, I can see this poor girl on the piano bench. You smothered her with your love. And I'll guarantee the reason the rest of them ran off is because you wouldn't let them out from under your coattail. You wanted to run their lives. You see, I'd look at that girl, poor girl on the piano. She'd duck her head. She didn't know how to act. I dare say your daughter's never had a boyfriend in her life or a girlfriend either. Well, no, she said, I just always kept her at home. I thought I could raise her up better. I said, no, you couldn't. Her personality is twisted. Natural human mother love, but it was selfish. She didn't have her children's interest at heart. She had her interest at heart. She wanted to keep them with her. But if she really loved them, she had wanted them to get out on their own. Now, have you ever noticed that mother-in-laws rather have trouble with sons-in-laws? It's usually with the daughters-in-law. Many times that mother just feels there's no girl anywhere good enough for my boy. 
Oh, yes, she may be saved, filled with the Holy Ghost, talking in tongues every night. But instead of letting the love of God in her heart dominate her, she's letting the natural human love in her flesh dominate her, constantly picking, constantly saying things. The reason mother-in-law and daughter-in-law have trouble if they don't walk in love is that for years that mother was the main one in the life of this boy. She wants to keep on telling him what to do, and now the wife wants to tell him what to do. Well, they can't both tell him what to do, and he's in a dilemma. You see, the love of God, friends, is in our heart. But it may be like the talent that was wrapped in a napkin and hidden in the earth. We may not use it. But that love of God is in our hearts. The text that we read said so. If we would use it and learn to let that love dominate us, it would make a difference in our lives. It would cure the ills in our homes. This kind of love has never been to a divorce court and will never go. It was natural human love that went there. Natural human love can turn to hatred when it doesn't get its way. It will fight and fuss and claw and knock and cuss and be mean. Divine love, when it is reviled, revileth not again. Now, I didn't say Christians haven't been to a divorce court. They have, but they weren't letting the love of God dominate them. God wants us to grow. And thank God we can grow in love. The Bible speaks of being made perfect or mature in love. No, we haven't been made perfect in love yet. But we can be, and some of us are on our way. The God kind of love is not interested in what I can get, but in what I can give. Do you see how that can solve all the problems in our homes? Too many are selfish. And even though they're Christians, they let the natural dominate them. What can I get? I'm not going to take this. I'm not going to take that. I'm not going to put up with this. I, 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 I. That's all it is. And that's all the talk. It's true in churches. I know in one church I pastored. I was just a young man even before I married. And I rented a room from a couple in the church. Well, this man knew the Bible. He had a marvelous experience with God. But he was the type that said, I got my say-so and I'm going to have it. I'm a member of that church just as much as anyone else is. And I've got my say-so. Well, he had his say-so. So did others until everything was wrecked. Everything was wrecked. And the church just simply died and closed down. I went off and left it. And, it, and they don't even have a church there today. Well, you see, the thing about it is, that these dear ones, bless their darling hearts, never did grow spiritually. They never got above the babyhood stage of Christianity. They remained babies. They didn't grow. As children of God, friends, the nature of God's in us, and God's nature is love. So it's natural for us spiritually to love. But if I let my outward man and my mind dominate me, that love nature in my heart is kept prisoner. Let's release the love of God that's within us. Now, what about this kind of love, this God kind of love we're talking about? What are its characteristics? Well, the Bible's clear. They're given to us in 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter. Now, it's to be regretted, really, friends, that the King James translates the Greek word for divine love, agape, as charity. My favorite translation of this expose on love is amplified. Let's look. Into the Amplified Translation, begin with the fourth verse. Love endures long and is patient and kind. You know, a lot of people endure long, but they aren't patient and kind while they do it. They just suffer long because they have to. I've suffered all I'm going to. I'm not going to have it this way anymore, they say. Love is never envious nor boils over with jealousy. 
You see, it's natural human love that's jealous. This kind of love doesn't boil over with jealousy. Love is not boastful or vainglorious, does not display itself haughtily. It is not conceited, arrogant, and inflated with pride. It's not rude, unmannerly, does not act unbecomingly. Love, God's love in us, does not insist on its own rights or its own way, for it is not self-seeking. Now, I wish you'd take time to let that soak in. I know, you know, a lot of people say, well, I know what's mine, though, and I've got my say-so, and I'm going to have it. I've got my rights, and I'm going to have them, no matter how much they may hurt someone else. But see, this says, love doesn't insist on its own rights. We'll never make it, friends. We'll never grow up spiritually and grow to the place where God wants us to be until we start believing in God and believing in love. It's the best way, and it is your way. Now, let's go on reading there in 1 Corinthians 13, Amplified Translation. Love is not touchy or fretful or resentful. It takes no account of the evil done to it, pays no attention to a suffered wrong. Now, here is love's thermometer. Here is the love gauge. It's very easy to find out whether or not you're walking in love. When you begin to take account of the evil done to you, you're not walking in love. As long as you walk in God and stay full of the Spirit, you won't take account of the evil done to you. I know through the years many things have happened to me just as they have to you. I've had ministers and even relatives tell me, I wouldn't take that, I wouldn't put up with that, not me. But I just kept my mouth shut, never said a word, smiled and stayed happy. Now why? Well, you know, friends, I wouldn't even take time to deny it if they told on me that I'd kill my grandma. I'd just keep shouting, hallelujah, praise God, glory to God, just go on. See, you'll come out on top in the long run. I know even ministers have told me, there must be a weakness in your character. You never take up for yourself. No, it's a strength, because love never fails. Many have failed, and have even died prematurely because they lived so in the natural they couldn't take advantage of the privileges and rights of a child of God which belonged to him. They were always fussing and fighting until it had an effect upon their bodies. Well, I'm not going to fight anybody. I'm going to love everybody, praise God, and preach the truth. Now, notice this text said, love takes no account of the evil done to it. Now, that has to be the God kind of love. Because, see, we were enemies of God, and God didn't take account of the evil we had done to him. He sent Jesus to redeem us. He loved us while we were yet sinners. Love pays no attention to a suffered wrong. Well, you see, he's talking about love, God's love, and that it pays no attention. Now, you see, a lot of times, so many people are walking in natural human love. And they sure pay attention to a suffered wrong. They get all puffed up. Now, a husband and a wife, both are Christians, will get mad, won't speak for a week because of some wrong. I know I'm on some of your toes, but I just want to stand there a while. Now, can't you see how it would straighten things out for us in the home, the church, the nation, for men to become children of God and get the love of God in them and then live in the family of God as children of God? Now, we go on reading. Love does not rejoice at injustice and unrighteousness, but rejoices when right and truth prevail. Love bears up under anything and everything that comes. Someone said, I just can't take it any longer. Love can I just can't put up with him any longer. Well, think about God. He's putting up with all of us. 
I've taken just about all I can. Well, that's old natural human love. The love of God in you bears up under everything. And then he went on to say, Love is ever ready to believe the best of every person. Now, natural human love is ready to believe the worst of every person. It's ever ready to believe the worst about the husband, the worst about the wife, the worst about the children. But this God kind of love is ever ready to believe the best of every person, husband, wife, brother, or sister in the church, children. Believe the best of every person. And you know, I've traveled across the country in the ministry, and it's amazing what you hear on this preacher and on that preacher, this person, that person, this deacon, that deacon, this Sunday school teacher, that Sunday school teacher, this singer, that singer. I never pay the least bit of attention to any of them. I don't believe a word of it. I believe the best of everyone. Children, friends, ought to have the right to be brought up in this kind of a love atmosphere. They'll go out in life's fight and win. But when you see the worst in your children, always telling them, you'll never mount anything, you won't do this, you won't do that, they'll live up to what you say. Though they may have missed it, when you see the best in them and love them rightly, it will bring the best out of them. They will amount to something. Now, let's go on reading from Amplified Translation of the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians. Love's hopes are fadeless under all circumstances, and it endures everything without weakening. Love never fails, never fades out or becomes obsolete or comes to an end. You see, if you walk in love, you'll not fail. Love never fails. We are interested in spiritual gifts, and we ought to be. But we ought to be interested in love first. Because this chapter tells us prophecies will fail, tongues will cease, knowledge shall vanish away. But thank God, love never fails. Oh, yes, I believe in prophecy and prophesying. I believe in tongues. Thank God for it. But you can exercise these things outside of love, and they become a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. The thing about it is this. Let's have prophecy. Let's have tongues. Let's have faith. Let's have knowledge. But let's have love with it. Let's put love first because we're in the family of love and have become acquainted with our Heavenly Father who is a God of love. We ought to want to learn. We ought to want to grow. We ought to want to grow in love until we are made perfect in love. Now, I haven't been made perfect in love yet. Have you? But did you know that the Bible says that we can not in the next world, but in this world. I believe some of us are going to make it. I'm not going to quit just because I haven't made it yet. I'm going to keep after it. Thank God for His Word, and thank God for His love. I'm teaching from my book, Growing Up Spiritually, and so now then we're going to get back to this one about growing up spiritually by walking with your Father. Let's turn to Matthew, the 6th chapter, the 25th through the 34th verses. Therefore I say unto you, Jesus said, Take no thought for your life what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto your stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you, that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. 
Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Now, friends, this is a marvelous section of Scripture. But for the time being, there are just two portions of it that I want you to notice. In the 32nd verse, For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. In the 26th verse, Your heavenly Father feedeth them. Now, this isn't talking about sinners or unbelievers here, because he's not the heavenly Father of sinners. Now, you listen to some people talk, and they'd try to tell you that we're all children of God. God's the Father of all of us. We're all brothers and sisters. But no, we're not. The devil is the father of some people. Jesus said to some of the most religious people of his day, that is the Pharisees, the very strictest sect of the Jewish religion, John eight forty four. he said, Ye are of your father the devil. Now, he didn't say our heavenly father was their father. He said the devil was their father. You see, friends, yet even though we have been born again and have become children of God, I think so many times we've never really become acquainted with our Father. Now, our theme is growing, growing up spiritually. We need to grow by becoming acquainted with our Heavenly Father. I remember I was teaching one time down in East Texas on the subject, this subject of becoming acquainted with our Heavenly Father. Remember a woman said to me, Brother Hagin, I've been saved for 11 years. But ever since I've been saved, you know, I've loved Jesus. But somehow I just didn't get, become acquainted with the Father like I should. But since you've been teaching along this line, I've become acquainted with my Heavenly Father, and I've just fell in love with Him. Well, that's her expression. You see, friends, there's no truth in all the Bible as far-reaching as the blessed fact that if we've been born again and come into the family of God, God the Father is our Father, and He cares for us. He's interested in us. I mean in each one of us individually, not just as a group or a body or a church. He's interested in each of His children, and He loves every single one of us with the same love. Now, Jesus was actually preaching here in Matthew to the Jews. Yet one reason they didn't understand Him was He talked about God as being His Father. He endeavored to introduce them to a kind, loving, heavenly Father. Well, they couldn't understand that kind of God. His message was, for God so loved the world that he gave. They couldn't comprehend it. You see, the old covenant was the covenant of the law of sin and death. It was the law of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You knock out my eye, knock out your eye. It was the law where God demanded an awful judgment, love, and so forth. But they were not able to do it because their natures had not been changed. So he set up the Levitical priesthood, whereby the blood of animals could be shed to cover their sins, so they could be counted righteous in his sight, and he could bless them. The sins of the people could be confessed over the head of the scapegoat. The goat let go in the wilderness, and judgment fell out there instead of on them. They had come up in this hard, harsh atmosphere of justice. When God gave Moses the table of stones of the law, fire and vapor of smoke overshadowed the mountain. If even an animal touched it, he was thrust through with a sword. 
In the Old Testament, after they built the tabernacle first and the temple secondly, they didn't know him as Father God. They knew him as Elohim or Jehovah. They did not know him personally. They had no personal acquaintance with him. His presence was kept shut up in the holies of holy. It was necessary that every male throughout Israel at least once a year go up to Jerusalem to the temple to present himself before God because that's where he was. And even then they didn't dare enter into his presence. No one entered his presence save the high priest and he only under great precautions. For if you intruded into that place in the wrong way and some did, you fell down dead instantly. This high priest after offering sacrifice by the blood of animals for his own sins and the sins of the people, could enter into the Holy of Holies and receive atonement for their sins. That is, pushing them off, so to speak, into the future. Now, that was the hard, harsh atmosphere they'd come up in. Well, it's no wonder that when Jesus came along to introduce them to a loving, kind Heavenly Father, they couldn't understand it. But you know, friends, I'm afraid that's not only true concerning those Jews. I'm afraid that it's true concerning the sons and daughters of Almighty God today. They have never really become acquainted with Him as being their Father. Now notice, here are some of the things Jesus said about the Father. John 16:23. And in that day ye shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, He will give it to you. John 16, 27, For the Father himself loveth you. Matthew 6, 8, 9, For your Father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask. After this manner therefore pray, Our Father. Notice the utter tenderness of it. Our Father. I like something Paul said when he prayed for the church at Ephesus. He began his prayer like this, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. That's Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. Oh, I like to do that. I like to get on my knees and repeat those words of Paul. I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. That makes it surreal. That takes it out of the hard, harsh religious atmosphere. This isn't religion. It hasn't a thing in the world to do with religion. Some folks say, do you have religion? Thank God I don't have a bit of it. I don't have any. When it's religion, it's God. But when it's family, it's Father. He may be God to the sinner, but he's Father to me. I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family. You see, it becomes the Father and his family. We are in the family of God. It's not important what church you're in. The thing that is important is what family you're in. And so, let's grow up spiritually by getting acquainted with our Father. Now, let's get acquainted through the Word. That's the way you do it. How do you get acquainted with Him? Well, I'm glad I'm in His family, and I want to become better acquainted with my Father. Don't you? I want to know Him better. Don't you? Thank God we can. Now, how can we? How can we know more about him? How can we become better acquainted with our Father? You know, I like something Smith Wigglesworth said. He said, I can't understand God by feelings. I understand God, the Father, by what the Word says about him. He's everything the Word says he is. Get acquainted with the Father through the Word. I like that statement by Wigglesworth. You see, it's in the Word that we find out about Him, about His love, about His nature, about how He cares for us, about how He loves us. Jesus Himself said, Man shall not live by bread alone, 
Well, how shall he live? But by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Notice again Matthew 6, 26. Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? The folks Jesus was preaching to never grasped it. It was new to them. You know, it's almost new to us. We've never grasped it. Because most of us have been taught to fear and shrink from a God of justice. We've never seen the love side of God that Jesus came to bring. Matthew, the 6th chapter, the 30th and 31st verses. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Wherefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? One translation says, Be therefore not faithless, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink? When you talk that way, you are without faith. The 32nd and 33rd verses, For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Now you see, they won't be taken from you, they'll be added to you. This proves the Father's care for his own. The 34th verse, Take, therefore, no thought for the morrow. For the morrow shall take thought for itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Now I like the translation that reads, Be not anxious for the morrow. You know, sometimes you do have to think about tomorrow, to make appointments, to plan something. Really the thought he's trying to get over is, Don't worry about tomorrow. God doesn't want his children full of worry. He doesn't want us full of fretting. Now why? Because he loves us. I'm talking about growing up spiritually by walking with your father, by getting acquainted with your father through the word. That concludes this message. For more information about Kenneth Hagen Ministries, call 1-888-283-2484 or visit our website at www.rhema.org or write Kenneth Hagen Ministries, Post Office Box 50126, Tulsa, Oklahoma, 74150-0126. And in Canada, write Kenneth Hagen Ministries, Post Office Box 335, Station D, Etobicoke, Toronto, Ontario, Canada, M9A4X3.